Welcome to Talk World Radio, a half-hour discussion of politics as if the people mattered. I'm David Swanson. This week on Talk World Radio, we're talking about the difficulty the U.S. government seems to be having in ceasing to threaten war on Iran. Our guest, Robert Fantina, is a member of the board of directors of World Beyond War. He's based in Canada. Bob is an activist and journalist working for peace and social justice. He writes extensively about the oppression of the Palestinians by apartheid Israel. He is the author of several books, including Empire, Racism and Genocide, A History of U.S foreign policy. His writing appears regularly on Counterpunch, Mint Press News, and several other sites. Originally from the United States, Bob Fantina moved to Canada following the 2004 U.S. presidential election, now resides in Kitchener, Ontario. Bob, welcome back to Talk World Radio. Thank you very much, David. So, so briefly, uh, what's the background people should know uh, to get them uh, to understanding the current negotiations and situation between the U.S. and Iran? Well, actually, it should be very simple. The United States signed an agreement with uh, Iran and several other countries uh, back in 2015 that regulated Iran's nuclear program in exchange for removal of many uh, crippling sanctions that the United States has, had issued against Iran. Uh, there were certain uh, restrictions that were that need to be fulfilled. Uh, Congress had to certify to the president at the time it was Trump every three months that uh, Iran was in compliance and this was being done. Uh, this was beneficial to uh, Iran. It was beneficial to the other countries that, that signed the agreement. Everyone was happy with it except Donald Trump when he became president. He then unilaterally, unilaterally withdrew, uh, reimposed all the sanctions and some additional ones and threatened the European signatories to the JCPOA with sanctions if they continued to adhere to their agreements. They, needless to say, uh, buckled under quickly to US pressure and uh, ceased any agreements with, uh, or any trade with, with Iran. Now, it's important to know that the government of Iran maintained its part of the agreement for a full year after the U.S. violated it. This was obviously with the belief that someone in U.S. governance would uh, recognize that this withdrawal had been a mistake and would reinstate uh, the JCPOA, but that didn't happen. When did that year begin and end? Uh, it was right as immediately when uh, Trump violated the uh, the agreement in the middle June or July of 2018, and it was as I said a full year before uh, Iran started uh, their uranium enrichment program or in, increasing their uranium enrichment program. And when you say the agreement was beneficial to Iran, uh, I think we might want to discuss that a little bit. I mean, this was an agreement that imposed stiffer inspections and restrictions on nuclear energy production than any other country had ever faced, right? I mean, the benefit to Iran yes. presumably was that the United States might not attack it. What, in what sense was it beneficial to Iran? It was beneficial because in that the sanctions which included, they were so wide ranging and they were really crippling the Iranian economy, they would be lifted. And so I visited Iran in uh, 2017 and I was in Tehran and the city was bustling and busy, uh, like any city, any major city you might imagine. So 
the the benefit to Iran was was economic. The Iranian government has always said it's not interested in nuclear weapons. Whether or not it is is beside the point. But uh, it was able to continue a nuclear program for peaceful purposes, uh, and the, the many sanctions were removed. I, I, it is beside the point in terms of whether the United States made an agreement and then tore it up, mm -hmm. uh, which is a <laughs> central key point here. But mm -hmm. it's of interest to me. I, I mean, if I look at the reporting that Gareth Porter and others have done over the years, uh, it seems that there was a very brief period where a very few people in Iran had a very initial interest in pursuing a nuclear weapons program that uh, subsequently was completely abandoned many years ago. Uh, and that six years ago, when this agreement was created, the both sides in Washington, D.C. were just simply lying. I, I mean, one side was Iran is pursuing nuclear weapons. We know it. We have evidence. They're going to kill us all. So we must have this agreement. And the other side was Iran is pursuing nuclear weapons. We know it. We have evidence. They're about to kill us all. So we must have a war on Iran. And I preferred the agreement to the war. But I thought both sides were just simply lying through their teeth. Uh, am I off base here? No, and that, that is certainly uh, certainly consistent with U.S. governance for for generations. That honesty is not uh, what they what they're interested in. There is a the the idea of wanting of the U.S. wanting to have a war with Iran is based on a number of things. One is that Iran overthrew the puppet government of uh, their puppet government that had been established by the United States uh, back in the 50s when the U.S. overthrew the democratic elected government of Iran at that time and installed the Shah of Iran. So during those years, 27 years that the Shah was in power, his brutal repressive regime uh, adhered to U.S. demands. Whatever the U.S. wanted was fine. Iran recognized Israel. Uh, then the people finally had enough. They overthrew the government. Uh, recognition of Israel ceased, and Palestine was recognized instead, and relations with Palestine were developed. Uh, the United States doesn't like being thwarted. Additionally, Israel wants to be the only major power in the Middle East, and uh, Iran threatens that, that hege hegemony of Israel. And the United States will do whatever Israel, Israel wants mainly because of the, uh, the pro-Israel lobbies that are so powerful in Washington. A year or so ago, uh, Representative Ellen Omar said something about, it's all about the Benjamins, referring to campaign contributions from uh, pro-Israel lobbies to government officials. And she was uh, roundly criticized for, oh, anti-Semitic, it's, it's this, it's that. It was simply the truth. Uh, you mentioned how the both sides during the Iran, the lead up to the JCPOA being signed, uh, both sides were lying, and that's typical. And when uh, Omar, Ilan Omar made that statement, uh, they were still lying too because they don't want to bite the hand that feeds them. And these these lobbies are very generous in in feeding them. 
And so this agreement happened uh, six, seven years ago and was actually a relatively good thing in the Obama years. Uh, and uh, Iran saw benefits. Did the United States uh, for any period of time do its part in terms of lifting sanctions? And initially, sanctions were lifted, not as many as they were promised. It was supposed to be a gradual lifting of sanctions until uh, Donald Trump became president. He said it was the worst deal ever. And uh, a couple of years into his term, he, he withdrew from it. Uh, so Iran was getting benefits, not all that it was entitled to, but it was trading with uh, France, with Germany. Uh, and this was, this was certainly beneficial to its economy. Uh, it's, it's important to know that this is, again, typical of the United States. Trump said it was the worst deal ever and that there were other it, didn't, it wasn't wide-ranging enough. But the thing is, the agreement was signed. It, was, it, it existed. Withdrawing from it and reimposing the sanctions was what Trump did in order to, he thought, bring Iran back to the table. He said, Iran will come begging for a better deal. Well, certainly that didn't happen. If, if the U.S. government wanted some additional conditions, what it could have done, what a diplomatic solution would have been, was to adhere to the JCPOA, and reach out to the Iranian government and say, there's some other things we'd like to talk about in a separate agreement. Can we sit down and talk? Under those circumstances, Iran probably would have talked, whether it would have negotiated anything new is beside the point, but there would have been communication between the two nations that wasn't based on hostility and threats. And, and the U.S. is threatening war. Israel is threatening war against Iran. This would have such huge consequences throughout the Middle East and, and other parts of the world too. But that's the route that the U.S. has taken. So when Biden was elected uh, and Trump was set to leave, uh, many of us were saying, well, when Biden comes in, the first thing he does, one of the first promises he keeps, assuming he's going to keep any promises at all, uh, should be to rejoin this agreement uh, and hurry up and do it on day one, rather than waiting for Iran to have an election. Because if he doesn't, that election is going to be make things much worse in this regard. And so what happened when Biden showed up? Well, Biden, like most or every president that's ever been elected, uh, says one thing when he's running for office and then does something else when, once he's elected. He did promise to rejoin the JCPOA, which, as you said, was an easy thing to do, just lift the sanctions. Uh, Iran would be, as has said, once the U.S. sanctions are lifted, it will scale back its uranium enrichment program. Uh, but what Biden said was that he wanted Iran to scale that back first and then he would release the sanctions. Now, what reason would the Iranian government have for believing that commitment from the United States after what the United States has done? None whatsoever. Iran at that time didn't demand compensation for the uh, damage to its economy that was done by these illegal sanctions. Just said, remove the sanctions, we'll uh, re reduce our Iranian enrichment back to the agreement. Uh, but Biden hasn't done that. And it's been a year, there have been these talks, as you mentioned, there's uh, an election in Iran, a, a more hardline uh, leader was elected and isn't as willing to, uh, to negotiate with the United States for good reason. The United States has proven it cannot be trusted. Uh, so 
here we are a year later, Biden still hasn't rejoined. There's still indirect negotiations because Iran will not negotiate directly with the United States, understandably, considering what Israel, what the United States has done. So uh, some negotiations are, are moving forward, but the United States keeps saying time's running out, all options are on the table. Instead of looking at a diplomatic solution, they're, they're threatening violence and hoping that Iran will bend. Uh, Bob Fantina, you almost said Israel trying to say the United States there, and I, I don't think that's completely off track. Uh, what is what is the role of Israel in all of this? Uh, Israel should have no role in this because it's not part of the agreement. But uh, the United States is con- government is conferring with the Israeli government every step of the way in these uh, renegotiations. There is no reason for that to happen. What agreements the United States makes with Iran is between the United States and Iran. Uh, the US certainly, any country certainly looks at what other, what other international repercussions there may be. But to bring uh, Israel in so closely, what we have to remember back in 2015, right before the JCPOA was signed, Benjamin Netanyahu, uh, then prime minister of, of Israel, spoke to the US Congress and basically begged them not to approve this, not to, not to approve uh, but, um, Obama signed this agreement and they rejected him, which was a kind of a remarkable thing. Uh, but he didn't have a role in the negotiations that anyone knows about anyway. Certainly Israel was considered as it always is in anything the US does. But today, uh, Bennett seems to be in constant contact with uh, Blinken uh, uh, about, about the JCPOA, which is, you know, Blinken of course is, is an avowed Zionist as is Biden as are many people in, in the US uh, governance. So they're, they're trying to accomplish two things that can't be done. One is do whatever it is that Israel wants and resign the JCPOA. Those are, those are mutually exclusive and the United States has to recognize that and do what is best for the United States. And has Biden given Iran any reason to believe that in the future, the United States government could be relied upon to keep its commitments more than it has in the past? Or has he actually indicated that he won't commit to keeping future commitments? In which case, why would anyone talk to him about anything? Absolutely. And the Iranian government asked for a commitment from Biden that he will, they they wanted initially a commitment that the agreement wouldn't be violated during its entire duration. Uh, and Biden said he couldn't determine what another president would do. So they asked him for a commitment that the US would abide by the agreement during his administration. And he said, well, no, I can't do that either. So <laughs> there is no reason that the US is not negotiating in good faith. The US is not willing to make commitments that any agreement would require. I can't commit to do something and tell the other person I'm committing to, well, I may not do this, and expect them to keep their part of the, the agreement. It just makes no sense whatsoever. And yet the United States is trying to seize the narrative and position themselves as the ones who are very reasonable and doing everything and saying that, uh, that Iran is being stubborn and isn't being reasonable and is just stalling for time while they develop a nuclear weapon. This isn't the case. This is not reality. 
You know, Bob, I, I recently published at World Beyond War a list of, of treaties and constitutions from around the world related to war. And it's a little surprising, even to me, the number of treaties that the United States and Iran and other nations are party to uh, that ban war and that ban the threat of war. Uh, and even under the United Nations with loopholes for defensive wars and UN authorized wars that you know are never met, but that everybody imagines must legalize some of these wars. Uh, there's no exception anywhere for threatening war. Threatening war is illegal always at all times and places. Uh, how, are, how are the United States and Israel doing in that regard? Those, both those countries feel that they are above the law. Uh, neither one of them adheres to international law. They demand that other countries do. Uh, that was why the US invaded uh, Iraq several years ago because it had violated some United Nations resolution. It didn't talk, the United States government didn't talk about how Israel has violated many resolutions. And evidence that they, the United States and Israel feel they're above the law is with Israel's recent annexation of the Golan Heights, not recognized internationally, but recognized by the United States. Blinken was talking about this and talking, and he said, he said these words, international law aside or legality aside, the Golan Heights is a very a strategic need for, for Israel. How can, you, how can you put international law and legality aside? But that's what the United States does. Whatever serves its geopolitical goals around the world, whatever will enhance its power and profits, it's going to be okay for the United States and Israel to do. Other countries can't, but for those countries can. And uh, the Wall Street Journal, for example, is demanding an attack on Iran, is demanding war, but it seems that it's sort of just the cutting edge of the U.S. corporate media in general, which is sort of acting as if Iran violated this agreement that the United States violated. How is that what the U.S. public thinks? How does this make any sense? The U.S. public isn't paying a lot of attention to this, unfortunately. But it was very clear that Trump, the United States violated the agreement. Uh, Iran didn't. However, we have to remember, as you well know, that U.S. citizenry rallies behind whatever war the U.S. has. When the U.S. wants to invade somebody, the U.S. citizens are, briefly anyway, they are all behind it. Yes, yes, let's go to war. Let's show them the American way. Et cetera, not et cetera. all. Let's not say all. Well, no, no, <laughs> yeah, not all. It's, it's a, it, yeah. Oh, yeah, it is. It's, that's kind of a generalization. Yeah, there, even the war in Iraq was met with protests around the United States and, and around the world. But there seems to be the idea that once the bullets, the bomb stop drop, start dropping, there's, a, there's support for the war. That support quickly dries up, quickly evaporates, as it did with the Iraq war. People became very disillusioned very quickly, and yet the war dragged on for years. The U.S. is always willing to start wars, and there's, there's so many aspects to this statement. Uh, the, the military-industrial complex, the amount of money that so-called defense industry companies make from the U.S. is obscene. Uh, and if the U.S. has these weapons, it wants to use them. And so that's why it will threaten, uh, threaten Iran right now. Uh, there's still threats against Venezuela. 
the U.S. is bombing uh, in Yemen and Syria and, and supporting the, the slaughter of the people in Yemen by financing and selling weaponry to Saudi Arabia. So the U.S. is a war-making and war-mongering nation, and it isn't interested in diplomacy, isn't interested in international law or human rights. It seems not only is this JCPOA, this Iran nuclear agreement, uh, something that the U.S. has torn up and is then making demands before it will resume compliance. Uh, there's also another treaty going back to 1970 called the Nuclear Non-Proliferation Treaty that uh, the U.S. is supposedly party to, Israel is not, uh, that requires that nations that have nuclear weapons work on negotiating and getting rid of them all. Um, I wonder if instead of making demands about a more recent agreement that was never even made a treaty, the United States wouldn't be better off and, and move Iran in surprisingly better directions if it started complying with some of the other longstanding treaties it's party to, like the Non-Proliferation Treaty. That that is something the United States has never done. From its earliest, earliest days, treaties with the Native Americans were signed and violated sometimes within days. The United States government will sign an agreement because it gets something at the moment, but with no intention of keeping its part of the bargain. We see that time and time again. As you say, the Nuclear Non-Proliferation Treaty. What has the United States done in the last, since the, since the signing of that treaty, to reduce its own nuclear weapons to work with other countries to reduce theirs, nothing. Also, the United States, Biden recently said that Iran will not gain a nuclear weapon on his watch. Who is the United States to determine who will or will not have nuclear weapons uh, when the United States is the only nation that has ever used them? Now, I certainly think the fewer nuclear weapons in the world, the better. None would be perfect. But, but for the United States to come in and say, and with, with a moral position, they will not allow a country when they've provided Israel with nuclear weapons to say they will not. Why are they in a position to to make that statement? They should not say anything about anyone's nuclear weapons except to get rid of them all as they try to get rid of theirs. But that's not how the U.S. works. And meanwhile, dozens and dozens of countries have joined a new treaty that actually went into effect a year ago, January 22nd. Uh, and people can look into the, the anniversary celebration at worldbeyondwar.org slash January 22 uh, that prohibits possessing nuclear weapons, manufacturing, trading, having anything to do with nuclear weapons. Uh, what a difference it would make for the United States or Israel or any of the nations that are party to this to, to join that new treaty. It would, make, it would make such a difference in the world. It would, it would be such a step toward bringing peace to the world, toward ending war in the world. Everyone is threatening everyone else with these, with these nuclear weapons. Uh, and to, to stop making them, to stop having them, to start destroying them in an uh, environmentally friendly manner, these are things that would lead to peace. But we have to remember the U.S.'s motivation is not peace, not international law, not social justice. U.S. government officials talk about the rules-based order, the rules that they create, and the rest of the world is supposed to adhere to them. But we have the U.N., as ineffective as it may be, it is still there to establish laws 
uh, for world governments to abide by. The laws that, as you mentioned before, that outlaw war, that say war can't happen anymore. How many times has the U.S. violated that uh, just in the last 50 years? Uh, the U.S. doesn't care about, about international law, as I've said. It just wants power and profits. And to the idea of, of reducing number of nuclear warheads in the world is something that just makes sense to everybody, unless you're just looking at profits. Well, somebody's looking at profits uh, because I'm looking around the world and I'm seeing this crisis in Iran and these negotiations around Iran and the same sort of thing in Ukraine, in Korea, in Taiwan. Uh, and there seems to be one uh, common denominator, uh, the, the government up the road from me in, in Washington, D.C. Uh, it, it's What's going to happen with with a half dozen hotspots and negotiations happening about all of them if the United States can't even be believed in its negotiations? It makes the negotiations meaningless, unfortunately. And you mentioned there's so many hotspots in the world, so many areas of extreme tension, and the United States has a hand in all of them. The United States could reduce the tension everywhere, everywhere, by using di genuine diplomacy, taking the option of war off the table, and working with the, and, and we, we know this very well, the amount of money the US spends on its military could end world hunger, could, could accomplish so much good for the world. And yet the United States continues to, to need to have enough weaponry to destroy the world 10 or 15 times over. The, the uh, military bases around the world, which cost trillions of dollars every year, these are, these are threats to the countries that they're in and that they surround. And yet the US is willing to spend that much money while uh, people in Flint, Michigan can't drink the water that comes out of their tap. So uh, the United States isn't interested in its own people. For government officials, their constituents are the lobby groups, not, not, not the voters. But as, as you point out, if the United States could, would, the United States is involved in, in every trouble spot in the world, and the United States could, could ease those tensions everywhere overnight if it chose to. I'm also, Bob Fantina, reading articles about Russia and China's governments getting closer and closer to each other and, and potentially forming some sort of alliance, not necessarily in support of international law and fairness to all peoples, uh, but a, a military alliance uh, to resist the United States, which uh, I'm not... I, I'm not 100% clear whether that's a good thing that brings balance and thereby peace, uh, or you know, if I were in favor of a world-destroying war, as long as the U.S. lost it or suffered badly in the initial stages, uh, I, you know, I guess I'd be thrilled. But uh, is this a good thing or not? Uh, it, well, it's not a good thing globally. It's something that I think Russia and China feel they need to do because they feel threatened by the United States. If the United States remove those threats, then Russia and China would not feel a need to make these military alliances. Uh, the United States is fostering this increased militarism around the world, fostering increased hostility to the United States, which then the United States government's officials say, we have to protect ourselves from these threats. 
and that always means war. Let's hope something can be changed. I know World Beyond War and, and many other groups and individuals will be working to change things. We've been speaking with Robert Fantina. His books include Empire, Racism, and Genocide, A History of U.S. Foreign Policy. Bob, thank you very, very much for coming back on Talk World Radio. Thank you. It's my pleasure. This is Talk World Radio. I'm David Swanson. Take action at rootsaction.org. Help end war at worldbeyondwar.org. Read or listen to today's Peace Almanac entry at peacealmanac.org. All past shows can be heard at talkworldradio.org. Talk World Radio is produced in Charlottesville, Virginia, and syndicated by Pacifica Network. There is no way to peace. Peace is the way.